Hello and welcome to WNHH Radio's Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. <coughs> John Valeka makes WNHH Radio tick. John is a retired New Haven assistant police chief, as well as the current sergeant at arms for the Connecticut State Senate. John is also the resident criminal justice expert here at WNHHFM. And uh, he's going to be doing, he's back in the studio to do what he always does. He helps us probe some of the latest policing news in town. And to help me kind of get a beat on it, is uh, also in the studio, is WNHA station manager and heavy D Donald Trump devotee, <laughs> Harry Droz. Welcome, guys. And special thanks to Yellow Haven Hospital for providing support for today's program. Good morning. John and Harry, how you guys doing? Good morning, Paul. Nice to be here. Good. How about yourself? Good. Harry, I got you on mic four. Mic um, four. So an interesting story came up this week, John, and you posted an interesting comment about it. Right. And I, I thought it was interesting. It's one of these cases where we read a, a sad story, a compelling story about one human being, but then it gets us thinking about how do our police force, our social services forces, our government in general, and private citizens, how do we all work together to tackle tough social challenges? Right. I'm talking about the death of 50, I think it's 55-year-old um, Mark Cochran. And he was a street guy. He was an addict, I believe. He was homeless. And he, um, he died. And people were trying to stop him from dying. Right. There was a philanthropist in town, Wendy Hamilton. She'd always take him to appointments. But, you know, he didn't really want her help. I mean, he thanked yeah. her. He said, I'd like to be warm and safe. But she'd bring him to appointments and sit with him for hours. And she wrote in The Independent pretty compellingly about how tough it is it is to deal with people at a hospital when you want to get admitted or get information or when you want to get into a housing program and all the documentation you need and how long you have right. to wait and how people screw up in the bureaucracy. But at the bottom, what we really saw in those articles from Wendy was the guy really didn't necessarily want the help right. and the hardest to help someone who doesn't want the help. But then he entered as a character in a larger drama, which is that New Haven is trying to rethink how we deal with nonviolent drug offenders, right. help them straight out in their lives. So they don't just end up in jail for a long time and have their problems get worse. We have a program called lead where we, Bottled on Seattle. We first said we talked about this on the air with you and Harry. We right. came out of protests about how we deal with drug uh, drug addicted prostitutes, saying why lock them up, you know, and then they say we're also gonna do this with drug offenders, where the police identify them, social services get involved, they have an outreach worker they hire who's from the neighborhood, and they work with the judge to say if you keep coming and showing up, you can even fall off the wagon a couple of times, but you're you're working on getting help. And that you're gonna go to jail if you stop being in the program. And we had got all this money to try it out, and we're experimenting with it. Our first experiments of the Hill in downtown. And this guy, Mark, was the first guy they identified. The police said, we're going to work with him and the outreach worker. And they never got together. They kept not even able to find him right, right. to go talk to him and check up. And all this money we're spending and all this work, sincere work being done. And not only did he die, before he died, he never really took that much part in it. Yeah. So what did you think when you read that, John? Well, I, well first I'll tell you that um I'm proud of the, the city because we shouldn't be arresting nonviolent drug offenders. So we you should like be the doing general something. concept of it? Yeah, absolutely. I think we just got to keep hammering at it until we figure out, you know, what's going to work. Um, but that's been a problem. Like I said, I could go all the way back to 2001, I think it was, when I was involved in uh, the Time's Up program. And then it was um, um, Ceasefire. And then there was the, the High Point Initiative. You remember all the hoopla around the High Point And that Point all initiative. became Project Longevity, which is that, you know, Longevity, you, right. but that was more like people in drug gangs, right? And then identifying people who are most at risk for violence right. and giving them alternatives, but saying, you know, if you don't want to go jail, go right here and get job help or housing help or right. drug help. But 
That was a little different, I think, from this. This is about the low-level nonviolent offender. True, a little different in in who we're who we're um, offering Targeting. services to, but it's a matter of whether the services we're offering are fitting the the, the need. Like, in other words, we're putting round pegs in round holes, um, square holes. Right now, we are, but our, you know, we we're trying to put round. I see. You know, you know what I mean. So, in other words, when you're offering, uh, I've yet to come across a, a gang member, a hardcore gang members committing violence that says, "Geez, you know, I'm doing all this because I don't have an apartment." And then we give him an apartment, and then he stops doing it. So, I didn't, in other words, we need to find the root cause of the problem. And and high point I can remember was it was you know a big that deal. That was based in North program. Carolina, and that was about how do we do alternatives, just right. rounding people up. Um, very very difficult program only because High Point in, in Carolina was a, a different scene than our, our scene here in New Haven. But to that end, what I mean is basically we had one person, one person, the same thing took advantage of the High Point initiative, and then that person reoffended and and found his way out of the program, but. Um, yeah, it's tough getting people in there. And here's here's my personal opinion. And I'm by no means any kind of a social scientist, but I. It's interesting though. You've had more contact with these kind of situations in real life than ninety nine point nine percent of us have talked about. What well, be yeah, you've true. seen up that's close true. the person over and over again, and it was so funny to me when I literally learned how cops interact with people they arrest. The vast majority of cases not even confrontational. Right. It's like you do, yeah. you do, do. I'm going, I'm going to do it. You're kind of rooting for the people to yeah, not and, offend and, anymore. And a lot of times that, that that's. You know, that's where our loss of intelligence and policing comes in. We don't access the, the field officer because a lot of those times, whether they're waiting for the transport or whether they're, you know, they're dealing they're with, they're with this person for a couple hours and they always strike up conversations. You know, they always talk back and forth about what's going on. And we found that um, you're dealing with a, a population of people who are mentally challenged. I'm not going to tell you all out mentally ill. I don't think that that's the Goes case. Goes the whole gamut. Some are completely coherent, right. intelligent, so, but they've got and a then crippling others, right. addiction. So. Yeah. When we say there, you know, you can only get help and you can only truly really help yourself when, when that person who's addicted is willing to get that help and makes a rational decision to get help. But you're dealing with, with a community or a population that doesn't have the capacity to make a rational decision. You know, so we need to help them figure out that this is the best for them. It's like when we go out to the homeless but you know what if, Yeah, the homeless camp, let's say the one at, on Marginal Drive right. in West Haven by the water. Now, is it not rational? Can a person rational, like the vets, they have the vets program. And we, I'm, I think you and I and even Harry would all be for these publicly supported programs that give opportunities to people who want to take advantage of them. And you give them that extra help to get there. Right. But some people don't want it. There are all these people camping out in New Haven. Most yeah. of them aren't even from here originally who they want to live outside. They well, don't want to go to a shelter. They don't want certain rules. Right. They want to be with their well, that's a big partner. Thing. They want to do drugs. And is it always a rational decision to do drugs well, it's not it, a good idea, and, but is it irrational? No. Well, I mean, I would say it's not always a rational decision, but they, in other words, a coherent, they know what they're doing. They know that the, the um, They're making a choice saying, yes, this could kill me. Right. I'm self-medicating. Nothing else is working. I have trauma. I don't care if I die. Right. I want to feel good right now, and that's what I feel I need. So, But then there, there is a whole other population that, that lacks the capacity to understand what they're doing. They're just doing. In other words... And you liken that to the homeless population. When it's very, very cold out, we go out as, as police officers. We, we get on foot and we walk through these camps and we offer these people, you know, we'll give you a ride to the homeless shelter or warming center. And, a lot and the of cops them, are dealing with that right now. In the cold snap, we interviewed one guy who didn't want to go in. He'd walk around downtown. Right. And the cops would say, I want to take you to the warming center. Right. And I, I, I can remember personally from me doing that. Um, at the time, it was uh, the encampment across from Cody's. They're on Water Street under the highway. Is an encampment there? Uh, there was. I think they they, they broke it up a year. Was that ago. before they did the road work? Because I'm trying to think where. Yeah, that I think would go. it was during that time. I think that was what caused it. The complaints from the workers there, and uh -huh. they ended up disbanding it. But we were out there, and I can remember talking with one guy 
um, and tell him, listen, you're, you, if you stay out here, you're going to freeze to death. And he, I swear, he really just did not believe that, didn't understand that. And you know, so what did you gamut, do with that? Um, I finally convinced him to come. So you had to convince him. Right, yeah. Had you to can't a lot force time. him? Can you force I, someone not to get I'm killed? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't really think you can. It's so interesting when everything about that you. part of a police officer, because I found that time and again interviewing cops, they really, really don't want these people to be hurt. Right. I mean, I, cops, like, they know they're low-level offending, and they're not going to let them commit crimes. Right. But what their mission really is, is to help them as much as they're helping everybody well, else, we, too. But we know the reality of the situation is they're they're harming themselves more than they're harming anybody else. Right, you know so in a I mean? free society, people have a right to harm themselves as long as they're not harming other people, although suicide is illegal. Right. It's not technically suicide if the guy says to Officer Valeka, I'm going to freeze to death. Well, I don't think so. But also, like, with fentanyl. I've right. been told now by the authorities that when the word gets out that a lethal batch of fentanyl, well, they'll, they'll the street, go after it. That's, everybody else yeah. hears that and want they that's get the, the, and they have the information, so it's rational, right? That, that's the that's almost the best thing that the public can do is say, "Hey, there's fentanyl, and this that's is the killed stamp. somebody." Yeah, Ooh, that must be good. I want that's some. the drug dealers love that. They're they're stock source. So, John, what can we do about that? I really don't know. I wish I. How knew. did you talk that guy under the bridge by Cody's? But really, I had to explain to him that. It, it was as rudimentary as explaining when the temperature goes below a certain level like it is now, you can freeze. You so know? you gave facts. Yeah. Like you have a body temperature. Your body is X percent water. Right. When the, when the temperature yeah. hits X degrees. It, in, in, in a set amount of hours, you're going to freeze to death and you're going to die out here. Do you want to die out here? No. Yeah. But do you want to come with me? No. So, <laughs> so what, do you understand so that? It, you know? So how did it work? Did you take a break and start over? Did you rephrase the question? No, I think it was a matter of him really understanding what was going on. And getting over the fact that, you know, he was, there was a little bit of embarrassment on his behalf because he came off so strongly and didn't want to go. Now, he actually wanted to go but felt foolish, you know. So then That's you have so interesting. To, so you are a psychologist. The cop is a psychologist. Well, you know, a lot of times they're called upon to do things like that, you know. And, and I can tell you, I've been with, with many cops who will spend a lot of time in those encampments and they won't leave. And then you'll see the cop return in 20 minutes with uh, blankets, you know what I mean? Like, if you're going to stay here, take all these blankets, take these coats, take these, you know. That's what they do. Listen, that's what we do every day. Nobody wants to, whether you're a cop, whether you're just an average, you know, normal person off the street, nobody wants to see another person freeze to death. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So they do what they can do to help. And what did you think, Harry, when you found that this? Well, first of all, John, what is the solution here? Should we not do the lead program? Should we no, do the lead program? Absolutely, yes. And I, learn from what happened here and recognize we're not going to save this guy, Mark, but there are other people we can help. Because so, there are people who want, when people are ready for the help, that's the beauty fix. So I'm thinking yeah. in my personal life, John, there are people in my personal life who have had drug addiction, have had mental problems. I have someone I've known for more than 50 years who the patterns repeat. Right. You have long talks to them rationally because they're rational about what can help, but they continue to act in a way that right. puts their life right. at risk. And to some extent, you realize you're kind of being used in that situation. They call it, in, in um, what's the word? Um, not empowering, but enabling Enabling, people. right. So at a certain point, you feel like you're being used to help the person actually avoid the problem with these fake discussions when the person really knows deep down if they want to get help, they can get it. If they, they're choosing for whatever reason not to, because maybe they're chasing a high and that's how they want to live. But other people say, you know, medication can yeah. flatten that out. I've watched in a certain human being how medication flattens that out. They don't act in those self-destructive ways anymore, but they also aren't living the way they necessarily want. Right. They're losing certain highs or creative impulses they used to have. To what extent can we as a society, a cop, a social program, a philanthropist, to what extent can we step in yeah. and help someone who doesn't want to be helped? You know, I, I sincerely think after years of being involved in these programs, we they become um, 
actually we're just going through the motions, right? Well, here's what we do at this stage. Here's what we do at this stage. Here's what we do at this stage. That doesn't mean the people involved don't care. I don't want that to sound like because that's not the case at they all. They care deeply. Care deeply, of course. But we have to avoid it being a root, you know, a, a process. And, and sometimes in certain steps in those processes, it's good just to pull and, and just talk. You know, when I was a detective, that's what the first thing the old detectives at, at the PD told me. is like, listen, the best thing you can do is just talk to people. See what's bothering them. See what, what, the, what the issue is. You know, I don't want It could be that, like they're upset their kid doesn't talk to them. Or they, they don't have a job. They feel they've capitulated on life. They feel like they have, they're going nowhere. So what's the sense? What's the difference if I take drugs or whether I don't? So if we're just spending money and not solving problems, is, are you saying we, that doesn't mean we should give up? So what should we no, do? Do I, we recognize there's a high loss rate that you're not going to succeed with everybody? Do you look at why it didn't succeed like with Mark and think of something you could differently? Because I know that the yeah. that the uh, Lieutenant O'Neill said we actually saw in this case some ways we could maybe change the rules of how we do outreach and the different yeah. kinds of people we can bring in in different ways. See, and that's, and that's what I will tell you about New Haven PD. Um, what Mark O'Neill said was, was something that needs to be said by every officer running these programs. Look, here's something that didn't work, but we looked at it and we figured out what we could do. And the next time we're going to try this. And if it doesn't work the next time, we're going to look at it again and we're going to try, we're going to keep going to it. We're not going to quit on this. And that's what, that's what they need to do. And I'm sure that that's what they will do. Um, but the thing is, sometimes we have to let the people that we're trying to help tell us what they need instead of us telling them what they need. You know, mm. in other words, saying to me, Here, here's what I need. And I can't say, what if well, they I say what I need is to get it. high? Well, <laughs> well, why? You know, why do you feel the need to get high? What it, obviously, when you're getting high, you're putting yourself in, in a different and intoxicated state, right? Where you don't want to deal with reality. Right. I mean, that, that's obvious. So what is it about reality in your life? That is, that is making you not want to be there, want to be in a different state, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, did you experience the death of a family member or a friend? I mean, you get grief counseling for that. Do you need a job? If you need a job, maybe we could do our... A lot of times, that's where the hang-up is. You know what I mean? With the, with the employment or the unemployment. Um, the, the, and in these the programs, we do have people actually train, not just cops learn how to talk well to people, but people actually have right. clinical backgrounds who then can pick up this yeah. kind of program can help you. That kind of. Harry, what's your thought when you're looking at the death of this guy, Mark Cochran? Well, for me, I everything that John is saying here, I, I actually go, wow, you know, how how in-depth he went with that, that the fact that policemen are actually social workers. Although on, they hate that. John, the are police social workers? There was part of the... the That's he, a phrase we kept hearing job. in the last 15 well, years. Okay, so... want to be social right, workers. Right, and, and, and I will say that, like I wrote in my comment, that the police are not a panacea. They're not the, they're not the, the, the be-all, end-all. They can't solve the problems. Um, the problem was that we were starting to be called upon to be primarily social workers. We're not primarily social workers. But, but weren't you always teamed with the social workers? Sure. Wasn't the idea yeah. that you went with someone from Yale Child Study Clinic yep. and you would then represent... You sent right. a kid who, who saw violence to a Yale So by shrink. by by nature, I would say police work is social work by nature, wouldn't you say? I mean, you're out, you're in society, you're working. So maybe the, the trick is that phrase, social worker. That I think you that are the supposed to lock up people. Right. You're not just supposed to be like saying, let's just talk about your problems while you go and shoot somebody. I think the officers, especially our young officers, come on to the, come on to the job and they, they see their role in society as very different than what it actually is, right? Um, after you have a few years on the job, you realize you are a social worker. You're working with people, whether it's a domestic at somebody's house, a homeless person that's out in the cold, a drug addict who's been arrested for the 50th time. You're doing social work. Long story short, that's what you're doing. Um, and but yes, unlike a quote 
social, social worker, worker right you do have a mission that isn't exactly the same right part of the larger sure. overall mission of dealing with size problems and keeping people safe your immediate mission is to enforce laws yes and i mean when when we talk to these there are some things that need to and just on the back end of what i was saying before i don't mean to cut you off here but while i remember it it's tough when you talk to uh somebody who's been arrested for the 20th time on, on a low-level non-violent drug offense and you say hey you got to clean up your act and they rebut by saying, how am I going to clear my act? They said, go get a job. How am I going to get a job? Nobody will hire me. You know, and there are things that we could do. We could get rid of check the box. We don't need check the box. And that means tell you if you have right. a, we don't a, need a, that. a record, a criminal record. You know, I, when you're I personally, I'm not a proponent of that. How can you, how <clears throat> we can have you claim? Rid of that, we? Well, I mean. Oh, for government work, yeah. You know, and across the board. You know what I mean? Not just, you know, you can't claim that you're giving a person a chance of redemption when you're really, when you're really not. You know, and, and sometimes. Yes, it's easy. Somebody will come out and they'll want to do the right thing. But and listen, uh, you know, what I mean? well, go get a job at McDonald's. Listen, it's not that easy to get a job at McDonald's. A lot of people put in for those jobs at McDonald's. Long story short, okay? You know, it, it's ridiculous to think that you could just walk into anywhere and get a job. That's not the case. There are people that have tried that a million times. They haven't gotten <laughs> jobs and they're right back into the life of crime and using drugs. You know, Harry, you, what were you saying, Harry? You know, I just wanted to say because it's true, cops are social workers, right? But they're not quote social but they're workers. They're not quote social workers. With a they technical have to, job with the primary mission. They have to follow the law. But, but what John was saying is these low level crimes, you have to be willing to 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 be the social worker at that instance and not be the cop who's just going to throw him in jail and not. You know, try to. But cops act. always have discretion. So right. Like, I know they're all cops who always have tried first to find another solution rather than arresting somebody. But they do have to well, arrest. That, that's what it sounded like he was saying that. Yeah. Sometimes you need more talk. Yeah. And less enforcement. Right, and 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 sort of solve a problem. You know, in order to solve a problem. You know, I'm kind of stuck in the middle there because I don't think you could do anything with this guy. You, you know, you just can't do anything if somebody doesn't want right, to get help. Right, so the help. question is that doesn't become an excuse not to do anything for anybody or sort of like opportunity. Right, but, but sort of like it, let's like don't a, they have to link this to a mental health? Oh, it's all linked in. Issue. You have to when you're in the link program, it But in. they haven't gotten to the point where they really were getting him to, and neither did Wendy Hamilton was trying so hard to help him. They weren't at the point where, they, where he really wanted, I believe to go to a lot of appointments that people would help him with root problems. He's 55 years old. You know, he didn't really, we're going to do what he had to do with certain rules to live certain places. You know, I think he wasn't there yet. Right. But at what point do you say this guy isn't able to make these decisions for himself? That's a tough line. It is a tough line. Because then the state can be overreaching sometimes. Right. Very much. I mean, William S. Burroughs would argue that his heroin addiction was very rational. You know, Lewis Carroll was taking LSD when he wrote Alice in Wonderland. Would it be okay if we never had that? I don't know. Right. And what's better for society? What are people's rights? But you do have the right to know that you listen to Dateline New Haven on WNHHFM, your home for community radio at 103.5 and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. We are talking today with a regular voice you hear on this station, New WNHH criminal justice expert, John Oleka. So, John, crime is at a historic low in New Haven. You were here during a time before your retirement where you helped put in place the programs that cut our crime a lot over the last six years. Right. And, and um, so now we, we ended 2017 with seven homicides, which is a lot, but mostly people knew each other, and that it was a 50-year low. Non-fatal shootings were 61 in the ballpark where they've been for a few years now. Again, 
lowest in 50 years. A lot. This is a national trend, but not a completely national trend. Bridgeport and Hartford was much higher. Baltimore is having record homicides right, right. now. But nationally, even Chicago, they were cutting crime a little bit high the year before. A couple of questions about this, John. First of all, what is? we hear a lot of different reasons. Why is crime down in New Haven? Well, I would say that you're, they're still reaping the benefits of those two large uh, wiretaps from the gangs. I really That's my honest opinion. Mm-hmm. But listen, they're, they're doing a good job. I mean, you know, if you're going to hold the police... Uh, you know, accountable when when crime skyrockets, you have to give them credit when crime is low. You know, and they're a lot. They're taking a lot of initiatives, and they're doing a lot of things that are very progressive. And they're they they have a very good relationship with the community. Even though you know every incident that makes the media is, tends to be something negative, right? Except you see, for your I've never, cop, your I've, cop ne- I've never agreed with you that they have this great relationship with the community. I think there are a lot of people who like a lot of the good cops. I don't know that this the systemic. I think the 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 rank and file patrol officer on the street with your average everyday i think they have a good re- a better relationship than most police departments now granted um there are i get where you're going with that there are some things that need work um but i think for a large part i think that they're they're becoming more cognizant of that i think that that's a good thing right now I and think, then you're talking about other things put in place we have this project longevity right and a spin-off from that that isn't project longevity as i understand it which is that you, in both cases you have a daily intelligence briefing with all the regional police departments right. in the state about and the feds what what investigations they're working on so whether it's just robbery yep. or a deeper like network of people been identified through good research about who are the small group of people most likely committed violence and keeping tabs yep. on them across both geographic and jurisdictional borders and that that's done a lot to prevent crime and lock up people. Um, is that going to be the main reason you think, or, or is the public really giving more information than it used to? Because that I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing like, oh, we got a great tip from the public on you, this. You know, I, that's and that's like, a, you know, I, I'm not going to. I will tell you that I've never had a problem getting information from the public ever. You know, w- regardless of whether I was in. But so what happened with this Tyreek case? The, the first night, there was all this information. There was a girl who saw the murder. Right. It was the kid, the 17 year old over mm-hmm. the summer. No, I guess 14 year old. I can't believe the amount of information I got. And again, I couldn't substantiate enough to write it. Right. But with like names and locations and times, there was a lot of information out there the first night. Well, you're, not, a lot you're of bad, not the police though. Too, no, no, that mean. the police got. And that there didn't seem to be this trust to be able to go that next step to confirm a lot of information. I'm not I'm not familiar with... Uh, that was the case in New Hallville with a 14-year-old Yeah, I'm, kid. I'm familiar with the case. I'm just not familiar with the, the back-end investigative or the lack of investigations. I don't... I, can't really well, I know they're that working that really hard on that one. They haven't yeah. made an arrest and, you know... It, you know, I don't... I, like there I were said, some people who want to come forward, including there's a family of the girl who witnessed it who wasn't yeah. happy with the dealing with police. They might have been wrong about that. I've heard that it might not have been the police's right. fault. They had, like, these two groups of kids who were beefing that they knew about right away... They knew about these other kids who had driven right. away in a car right after the shooting took place. Now, shots, something wasn't working, video or something had broken. Okay. But it just seems like, and I guess it's, it's hard to, to, you also to have Monday to. morning quarterback from outside when you're not doing the job, when you have to get airtight information. But I was getting the sense from the inside from people that there wasn't the trust there. Well, that, that could be. But also, don't forget, there is another dynamic at work here is that a lot of times... When we, we solicit people for information and they have this information and they don't want to give it because they right. don't want to be involved, or other, they will simply say, well, I didn't... Right, they, they don't want to be retaliated the against and they don't lay, get friends and don't be Right, snitch. and they'll lay that at the feet of the police. Well, the police, were, you know, the police weren't forthcoming. And it's not fair to take me. one case when a lot of... Like we just did solve the murder that happened last week on, right. on Friday early morning. They solved it in 24 hours and, and then yeah. allegedly and, and arrested the you person. Know, so it's not like they never solved cases. Listen, when I... Firsthand... 
you know, I, I've seen this. You know, I've seen detectives who have great rapports with the people they're working with, and they still won't give information because they don't want to get involved. And sometimes they will say, you know, I, I don't trust the police. I don't want to give this information. But are the it's detectives so much, connected to New Hallville? Like, for instance, I know this isn't supposed well, I, to matter. Don't get me every, wrong. I've been gone six years. But now, everybody so working the case was white. Everybody was white in a black yeah, community. I know I, that's not that's supposed whole, to matter. That's a whole yeah. other thing I, I don't believe in. I don't believe a black detective can access any more information. Right, because you could have, detective. like, Mike Wuchek is a great detective who's white. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, cases. That's a yeah. bunch of BS, to be honest with you. I, I don't believe that, you know. But you don't think that in the mix there should be somebody in case there are people, like, in a completely black neighbor that has had a bad history with white cops that might feel more Put it this way: If if in a in a, in a minority neighborhood, impo- I don't even say minority, an impoverished neighborhood, because that's what it is. It could be white, black, whatever the case may be, where there's a distrust of the police. There's not a distrust of specific police. There's a there's a general distrust. You could put a black officer, you could put a white officer, you Hispanic officer. They but we just do don't know trust that in Ohio, that there's certain cops who were no, spoken you, to. No, you know that because the the right. Well, you know that because they're telling you they they work. No, there. I'm talking about people I've talked to on the street who will say. Right, they'll talk to this cop and not the other cop. Yeah, yeah, he's different. Well, I I can tell you that I don't think I've ever seen that. Really? To be honest. Okay. I so mean, so crime are, is down because of good programs, right? And there, I will say on the back end of that, there are officers who can relate more, you know, because they've they've grown up in those areas. They happen to have. Um, I could tell you uh, on the top of my t- tip of my tongue is Angie Augustine Day. She was a detective, worked for me. She grew up in Westville. Anything that happened in Westville, I Angela could go out there and investigate it. I, but it wasn't because she was a black female. It was simply because she grew up there and she knew everybody. You know what I mean? So, so I'm not sold wrong, on the whole So would it be thing. wrong to try to get people who grew up in New Hallville and Dixville to be the, or no. be sure to be the, uh, the district managers there? No, I don't think so at all. I think that that's, that's a good thing. You know, because people are more, they're more apt to talk to somebody that they know that they've known for a long time. So, so I guess I took you off track. So is the crime down because of good work by the police department? Is it down because of national trends? Why is it I, down? Both. I think it's both. And I think that you also. The mayor's youth stat, has that played a role? mayor's youth stat is a great program. Sure. Really is, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, I think what they're doing better now than we've ever did before was that, um, like I said before, weed and seed, right? There was always this weeding, but there was never the back, the, the seeding, seed, yeah. right? They're, they're, now they're doing that. So youth status seeding. Right. And then, but what's also going on is, is the Bureau, Herbie Johnson and all those guys there, bureau. right? They're watching, the guys that go in, that went in, they're keeping an eye on them when they come out. They know what they're doing. So in other words, they don't get lost in the numbers. You know, they went to jail, but we're still going to keep an eye on you when you get out to make sure that you don't revert back to your old ways. And I think that that's a good thing. So, so now numbers can come back and bite you. because Numbers will always come back and, and bite you. And murders <laughs> are... I think maybe not as important as shootings. Murders are actually very important in terms of assessing how crime is. Now, oh, our, you know how I feel about that. Right, because you may remember when you were the assistant chief, one day uh, it was a completely family dispute. doesn't talk about the state of policing in New Haven. And there was a quadruple arson murder. Yep. And then there was someone who was freaking out who worked in a laundry. Some kind of terrorist being just shot people up. Oh. That skews your statistics. When right. you were talking about right now we had seven in a year, all of a sudden seven could become in a day 13. It doesn't mean crime is twice as high. Right. So here's so what do we do with these statistics and how do we understand them in context? Well, if you remember not a little while ago, we, we, we had a, a talked about statistics. And I would tell you that the dictation of, of the actual crime, fear of crime, disorder, quality of life in an area is not murders. It's not. It's, it's assault. It's burglaries. It's robberies. So most crime is down. Right. And 60 shootings is low or 61. Yeah, abso- used to have. absolutely. So shootings absolutely. are down because we're actually reporting more shootings than we used to and the number's still lower because yeah. shot spotter, the automatic detection system is in more places than it used to be. Yeah. So, and I have to say, and maybe anecdotal is really unscientific, I feel New Haven 
is a lot safer. Like I walk oh, often after no dark question. between no question. Kensington. And I feel, I mean, I look around, yeah. but I feel really safe. I feel very safe on Dixwell Avenue. Yeah. Um, and I do think that's because the city's safer. I think in general, I think everybody is having a part in that. I also think that, you know, uh, there's a demographic of offenders. You know, that 18 to 25 demographic has rotated beyond and, and we're still below. You know, I think we'll, when, it, when that fills up again, I'd like to You're talking about how many step. people that age are living in our city? Right. Or how, about like, or how about when you get a few people responsible for so much violence behind That's bars true, for yeah. 10 years and then they come out? Right. Are they still responsible right. when they come out or are the old heads not as violent? Well, it, I really haven't seen a lot of the old guys that have done 10 or 15 years come out and go right back to, I mean, it's happened, don't get me wrong, but usually no. I mean, you can't. So I remember the fear after in the early 90s and mid-90s, we put a lot of people behind bars when they yeah. came back. 15 years later, there was a lot of fear that that was going Right, but you also have to remember, too, that in, in the 90s and, you know, it started to rear its head a little bit, after, you know, in 2004 or five. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. We don't, they don't, we had a drug gang problem, right? That means an open air, out on the corner selling, they don't sell drugs that way anymore. So, therefore, that violence that's associated with a guy standing on the corner working a bag of dope is not there anymore. And why and that is was that? The, because they, they used cell phones, they used the internet, they used their vehicles, you know. So the guy standing on the corner selling drugs So why is, is it so gone. bad in Baltimore? Why is it so bad in Bridgeport? Why is it so bad in Hartford? They well, have a longevity in those cities. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. But I, could t I can only speak for drug, how the drug market is in New Haven, at least what I saw years ago here. It was taking a turn towards, it was much more technologically advanced. I saw a guy yesterday morning at Edgewood Avenue near Sherman selling on a bike as he rode by. He would just kind of ride by you and tell you he's got something. Right, and a lot of times that's fake. Yeah, what does he really want to rob you? No, he's got he's selling you uh, what we call a burn bag, fake drugs. Oh yeah, yeah. And how can you tell when that's going to be fake and real? Well, it's, I, well, we tell by testing it. How you could tell if you're going to buy it? Well, and I wasn't smoke interested in buying. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean you find out later that it's, that it's a sheetrock or whatever you're. Sheet, wow. Yeah. But in the meantime, <laughs> we're, you're going to find out that you're listening in case you don't know to Dateline New Haven and WNHH, your home for community radio, at 103.5 FM. Live streamed at newhavenandpin.org. We're here with John Vilecka, the Sergeant Arms of Connecticut State Senate, former Assistant Chief and Acting Police Chief in New Haven, and the resident criminal justice expert here in WNH. And we're with um, Harry Dross from the Station Manager of WNHH. But John, we had two murders already this year, right? In the first two weeks of the year, does that mean crimes up? No. <clears throat> so how do we no. deal with that? And you let the public perception. Do it. No, no, public perception. Of public crime. perception. I think that. I think that we first we have to affect <clears throat> public perception by claiming that the city is safer based on our homicide numbers, right? It's, and yet you have this good number that doesn't seem to be irrelevant. Well, it's it's irrelevant unless it's you know unless you come up with six next year, right? I mean, then you're then the number seven is relevant, but I'm sure nobody's gonna make it if we come up with ten or twelve, you know. But when we had thirty, we thought that was relevant. That it was high in thirty four. We said that was a problem, and it was because even right. though a lot of them are just kind of specific murders that have nothing to do with the safety of the city. There was this tit for tat with gang warfare going on, right? Absolutely, I, I think that was his name, Cody, Cody Franklin, and yeah. then you had Jermaine it, Brooks. I mean, both between the two and of them, you had like Pagan. Murders, yeah. All of them have three, you know, three or four bodies under them. That's suspected of eight or you know, nine, and suspected of eight or nine, right? So, um, but what I'll tell you it, it is, you know, when you start to ride the numbers and say this is what we're doing, what we're doing is working because of murder rate. Murder is the lowest reported UCR. Um, uniform crime report. Said, right. So why would you judge your community based on the lowest? 
But why I mean, do we judge it when it's high? Because it does tend to be something You shouldn't relevant. judge it when it's high either. But because here's, here's, having the most you had in a long time seems to bother people. Well, having the most we had in a long time in the way we were having them was cause for concern because for the reason that you just said. We had factions going back at each other. We knew early on that we had, we couldn't put the name on these guys, but we knew that this was one guy who was being like a hired gun, essentially, on both ends. Both of these guys, Franklin and, and Brooks, were, they, were, they were hired guns, long story short. That's a cause for an alarm because anybody with a, with a, you know, a set amount of money could hire these guys to go do a shooting. You know, so that's a problem. Obviously, that's a problem. But um, when you start talking about riding in the numbers, that's, that's, it, it's irrelevant, if, if you're to ask me. If, I'd rather see you tell me about your robbery numbers, your assault numbers. And are those all lower? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. You would have that more than I would assume. Yeah. I mean, they, 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 you see some that kind of crept back up and some didn't. I know that reported sexual abuse was higher, but I got to believe that's because it reported and the numbers are so low compared to the actual yes, incidents. Yes, you know what? I ran, when I, I ran that unit for a short amount of time and those numbers go back and forth, um, you know, yearly. It's, it's hard to really Any say. Any thoughts, Harry, on the crime job? Obviously, it's Jeff Sessions. <laughs> oh, God. There's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> That's what I was thinking too. <laughs> right. uh, moving on, body cam. Obviously, and, and you you wonder why crime is going down. Maybe is MS thirteen being picked up all over the place? You know, by the way, that there was no MS thirteen New Haven. You know, by the way, that I'm this not talking drop, about New Haven. You, you know was, that you this talked drop about started, the rest of the thing. You know that this is the result the of a six year decline that was completely started no. under the Obama administration. It completely began with a project. I'm in which you, Eric Holder <laughs> came to New Haven to announce Project Longevity and give the money and the federal resources. We're hearing that this is the biggest single contributor. This is an Obama program. See, it seems like Paul knew why crime was done, right? <laughs> well, I think he, John would agree. He's just waiting. John would agree that Project Longevity now, is pretty now, big. It's worthwhile. It's a worthwhile program. Now, There's why no isn't it that. working in Baltimore and everything that you were saying? Because... Well, because because Eric Holder went there also, yeah, so he and he did. accused well, and he I, accused the cops of all being racist and everything. So they pulled back out of the neighborhoods. I think at the bigger bigger jurisdictions, your Chicago's, your Baltimore, it's it's diff, more difficult to get buy in from the police officers. I think our police officers buy into these programs, and they also think these programs need to be supported by other social programs surrounding it. So yeah. it can't stand alone and be successful. And it was the kind of turf battles I hear a lot. Maybe I'm wrong because I'm outside as a reporter. Maybe I'm just getting played. But it really seems to me that. Often, because I used to hear a lot of these complaints, the feds don't trust the law enforcement in New Haven. The state has jurisdictional um, jealousies with the other. They don't work together. For some reason, there's that room in New Haven where federal, state, and local law enforcement are Get working along. together and Absolutely. helping each other solve cases I can rather than trying to, that to arrest firsthand. each other. Yeah, why did that happen here and not in the other places? You know, I, I well, well, obviously, when I took over narcotics, the big my the number one goal was to bridge the gaps back after the corruption scandal with the federal authorities, but... I wouldn't. I can't take credit for that because before the they also worked. They also worked well way before me, way before everyone. But they did. They always have. Uh, I think that we've been fortunate. We've had some very good uh, special agents in charge over at the FBI, at the DEA. Um, they were very ingratiating to the to the local guys, and we all seem to work together. We we know our we we all know our roles. You know, uh, the local guys are the guys who usually bring most of the information to start these cases up, and the, and the federal they send the resources. So. In one regard, the federal authorities are usually, you know, upset because, or not upset, or, or um, what's the word I'm looking for? But they, they fight, the, their lack in investigative, you know, efficiency is they're not getting information. And we get aggravated with the fact that we can't get enough money to do what we need to do. We have the information ready to go. So we pair up, and it's a force multiplier, and we work right. great together. And plus it's you can use federal way. charges to. Right, and that's, you know, but the most part of the thing is like, you know, 
nothing worse than telling a detective after they've spent months on getting a job that I can't pay you to put this job together. Well, the, the federal government comes in and say, listen, we'll help you with that if you help us with what we want to do. Oh, that's good. You know? So talk about how to help build public confidence. And you've been a big supporter of this. Body cameras, New Haven police yep. have started now wearing them. And we had our first public test of how they're supposed to work. They're supposed to build accountability and hold, hold a com- help the public understand what happens and hold officers accountable. So in December, there was this case in the Whaley Food Mart, a convenience store on Whaley, on Whaley Avenue right near um, Boulevard, going toward Edgewood Park. And it was at night. And the police earlier that evening had followed a guy who was a criminal record who they believed was on PCP acting wild in the street. But then he kind of got away. Hours later, they say, oh, he's outside this market. He maybe isn't acting well again. So they get there, and he's inside the store, and he's completely calm in the store. He's buying some tickets. And they order him to put his hands up or show something. He gets kind of confused. They tase him over and over again. And he freaks out, jumps on the counter. They jump after him. And it's all on body camera. Although we don't get to see the face of the police officers when they're, how they're handling this. You're seeing the view of how the guy acted. So what was interesting about that to me was that at first nothing was said or done about this. And it was within the police department, there started being rumblings that officers felt that these cops got away with handling the situation wrong. So after they complained about that, it was investigated and we got a copy of the independent. We played the video and then it was decided these officers didn't break any rules, but that they escalated rather than de-escalated situation, which is supposed to be a core principle we're allegedly training our officers in. I haven't seen tons of evidence of that, <laughs> except the way that a lot of cops naturally know how to de-escalate situations right. very well, but these ones didn't. What was your take on how the role the body cameras played and how the officers acted in this situation oh that's so funny well the body cameras obviously did their job i mean the, the yeah, they give you exactly what happened through the eyes of the officer without any kind of spin you got to see exactly what the police officers do and you got to exactly you know you're in the moment so w- with regard to the cameras they work perfectly um, with regard to the officers you know they could have done some things better but i i don't think they were you know you watched the video? Yeah, I watched it a few times. Now, I mean, one thing people says, this guy never actually did anything wrong. Well, You're supposed to obey an order. But right. if they, they already believe he's on PCP. So right. on the one hand, you really feel for the cops because it's hard call, to have right? PCP. There's a call complaining So the cop had a reason guy. to believe right. to be wary this guy could hurt me if he has a PCP. But also, if you know somebody might be incapacitated, aren't you supposed to not do things that make them freak out more? So if he's getting confused at your orders well, but not doing anything that threatens you... Aren't you making it worse by well? He's not confused. He's not confused with the orders. He's not complying with the orders. There's a difference. He says when I they tell that, him to uh, come over here and give me your ID. No, I'm getting something from my mother. That's that's not complying. That's not saying okay. I'm not. What are you, are you asking me to come? They know what he, the cops. He knows. But it's still it's still a calm situation where he hasn't shown his ID. He hasn't committed any crime. Right. Why would you tase him? Well, here's the thing. I can't really. I will speak about it, but I know that back in when I. I read a lot of the comments, and they said, well, you know, an older cop would have went in there and this and that. That's true. I mean, I probably would have done too, but I didn't have a taser. So the option to, to tase somebody was never on the but table. But there you go on taser. Taser is supposed to be a better alternative to guns often because you don't kill the person. And they are. But the fear is that then a lot of times you pull a trigger that you never would have triggered, and right. it heightens the violence, and people have died from tasers. Right. Well, I mean, in rare cases. We but could in debate, Brantford. Right. We could debate that all day long, but... Here's the thing. There's a force continuum the officers are trained to follow. They seem to have jumped a step in that, right? They went to the taser too soon. They should have used some, maybe some open-hand tactics and try and, and physically get that, you know, get him in, in custody, maybe put some handcuffs on him and detain him until they figure out what's well, but going on. Like, also with mental illness, if you're aware that you're dealing with someone who's not stable, right? 
And they're not going to just obey things the way you think they should, but if they're not doing anything destructive at the moment, aren't you sort of pushing them? I know it's a very difficult situation. I sympathize with Costa, but I'm thinking of one officer in particular who's a really hot-headed officer and always ramps it up. And right. he shot to death a mentally ill person in an elevator. And he did not have any blowback on that. And it's not like he went out to kill somebody, but it was clear that almost any other officer, if the officer had been trained differently, would not have escalated a situation in an elevator where he felt the need to shoot him. Isn't it dangerous if the cops are escalating situations with people who might be on drugs or are mentally ill, rather than, even though we have to be sympathetic to the cops because their safety's at stake and it's difficult to do, but don't we also have to make sure, given that we're giving them the tools and the legal right to end people's lives, that they don't create situations where they're going to more likely end people's lives who aren't threatening other people? I, yeah, I, I do agree with that. I'm not sure if the officers... Are you telling? Are you is your stance the officers in the in the store brought escalated that to the point where we ended up where we were? Yes, maybe to a degree. I, that guy was not doing anything, and the only oh, no. Well, wait a minute. The, the no, only that guy, was, he that wasn't guy, creating a danger. Okay, wait. he wasn't showing ID. No, but listen, the the police are called there. All right, there's a guy who's acting erratically outside. He's now in two the store. hours earlier. Okay, but they're they're responding at that time to a call for service from somebody, which was was it the store owner or the person? No, the no. So they get this call, they go in the store. Now, the officers don't know, right, they have somebody who's been already reported acting erratically. They don't know he's going into school. How, how are the officers supposed to know he's not in the store committing a robbery? Right, so they're right? watching, so they, they, and there's so, no robbery okay, taking wait. place. Well, they don't know that. Yes, they do. They're watching it. They don't know that. They know that because the guy is telling them that. How he's did, there buying a ticket. They could have asked the guy, is he robbing you? Well, the, sure, they could have done a bunch of things, but what I'm saying to thee is this. This guy hinders that investigation from even getting underway. By by not saying by not complying and coming over and just taking it down and letting himself, you know, if, if he's not robbing the place, let the police investigate that and see what's going on. Right, but the, the, what they were acting is he didn't show his ID. Does he have to legally show his ID? He he's in he's the subject of a Terry stop, right? Long story short, right? So he's <clears throat> he's he's support if the officer's asking for ID. I'm not sure if he's legally bound to show his. But ID. Do you want to tase someone because he didn't show your ID? No. No, I'm not, and that's and that's what I'm getting. I'm saying I think that the officers could have employed some other tactics to bring this down beforehand before the taser came out. Um, I mean, we we did that, you know, back before tasers because the alternative weapons were not something we wanted to use, you mm -hmm. know, because they made a mess. Your blackjack would would open somebody up and bleed all over you. Usually, when you use OC spray, all the cops get sprayed and nobody else gets sprayed. And forget the PR twenty four; that's just a like a medieval weapon you kill somebody with. That's so where we was afraid to use it. So we had no other alternative but to talk and, or use your hands, right? So now enter the taser where you don't have to get up hands on somebody and it's effective. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're the product of their own usefulness because they're too effective. They're too effective, right? Um, and that's, that's the problem you face with the tasers that is, is our cops overusing them sometimes. Harry, they what, don't was your, what was your take on this? I, I disagree with, with John in this point. If, you, if the cops would have laid hands on him, it would have been worse. It would have looked worse on camera. It would have. It would have. Because he would worse. have resisted, and he he would have been forcibly taken down to the floor. No, you see what right? I what I and think, that's the problem because he, he was, was that he guy was, was going to resist regardless. He was going right, but here's the thing: what I think was bad when I look at that video that doesn't in, and I keep it in perspective too. <laughs> Paul wants but you the to guy, just let him walk away kinda, because he's not harming nobody no, at the time. We, yeah, and we can't and we can't do that. We have an obligation not to do that. But I think what looks bad in there is that the guy he, the taser's not working. Right. Right. So the guy said, hey, stop, you know, leave me alone. And he's dancing around this store. 
you know, there's a part of that where he becomes like, you know, the victim there. Like, what do you keep doing this guy for, you know? <laughs> but if you went up on this guy just immediately and you grabbed him and wrestled to the floor, it would have been over. It would have been over in two seconds. I know he had a reputation being rough, but I watched so often Ray Hassan, the retired, kind of tough guy cop. He always diffused situations great. And I watched, I watched one case with this one cop who's a hothead who did kill somebody. I watched another situation completely escalate a case with a woman who was inappropriately getting upset that her car was blocked in while he was dealing with the mostly disturbed person. He was right. And he just got this woman freaking out so that it became a bigger fight and made everybody more dangerous. He even threatened me for not taking pictures of that situation. Hassett comes and immediately got the woman who's acting out to stop. He very forcefully in a loud voice just said, stop right now. Over. And she stopped. So here, and, and he dealt with the other situation and it was done. But, but I've seen him thing, do that though. over and over right, again. But here's the thing. You can't compare the three officers in yeah. that store to Ray Hassett. Ray Hassett, first of all, is a different type of person, right? Uh, and it's not like on, he's Mr. Softy Snowflake who Harry will make no, fun but of. Don't, don't forget but that. But he also oh, wasn't, Ray, like, he Ray wasn't, is he wasn't a, committing un, un, inappropriate violence on people that no, escalate situations. You're saying remember, because it worked on her, it would have worked on I this guy? I watched it over and over again. It would have worked on this guy. Ray is a highly intelligent person right he's been trained for years and years and years on de-escalation and, and dealing with those situations and he trains other people trains other people and he's been on the job 30 years i mean these are these are young officers feeling their way through they're going to make mistakes i'm not giving them any absolution because they should have used their, their chain of command and if or their force continuum rather and if they had done that i believe that the three of them there without any weaponry yeah. at all yeah. could have brought this person to the ground handcuffed him sat him on the thing figured out what was going on then once he found out he didn't do anything wrong, release him, or if he did do something, or maybe arrest get him. him if he was doing something wrong and right. he found out. But I know the store owner. I talked to the store owner, and he wasn't against the cops, but he said nothing bad was happening in the store. Right. The, the, the problem is that the taser has become too useful of a weapon. Um, it is very effective, and, and and really, it's a difficult thing for an officer to say. Listen, I can either get up on this person and go hands on with this person, or use my taser from afar and not risk injury. So John Valleca, Harry Joseph, are almost out of town time but i really wanted to ask you about one thing john before we left mm -hmm. new haven as we know it continues to lose officers including young officers who spent fifty sixty thousand dollars to train to suburban police departments that they're watching who are the good cops and then snatching up paying them a lot more money with a lot less risky job hamden they they had something like uh five openings and all five top yeah, people they, just in new haven. Three of them they in. took three yeah. of them and two more are going to come you said that um, other chiefs have talked about how they do it. They call it churn, or uh, what is it? Churn and train. What was it? What we tell me about what you're hearing about what suburban departments are doing in terms of New Haven cops? Oh, I don't know if I, I put a moniker on it, but they we certainly uh, they certainly watch. There's no doubt about it, and they stay informed. And you know, they apparently tell, they tell them to go get on New Haven and then come see them when they're so certified. A, so there's a, a limit apparently legally at this point to how much we can charge these cops who the, right. and suburban cops towns pay to the cops the penalty. For in their first few years, and sometimes mm -hmm. they just wait till that time's up after they've been trained, where we get reimbursed for some of our training. Any thoughts on what we could do? Some people say it's not a problem. We're training a lot of good cops for the region. We'll get young people. No, that's a, re that's a Other ridiculous people say notion. New Haven. I, now we have more, I saw somebody write. Um, we have our regular um, wave of retirements now, which we often have. Yeah. We're losing a lot of institutional knowledge. We have a lot of cops who can do handle these tough situations. Mm -hmm. Talking about gone. Um, so we have a very young department. We're trying to fill those ranks. But you've said maybe the solution is we just don't need so many cops. We don't. I'll stand by that, but I'll tell you, I heard, I, I saw somebody say, listen, this is a good thing. We always got young cops. Well, if you always want to have those, 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 uh, you know, convenience store incidents, then, then great. You know, you're going to alleviate the veteran officer. So what would you do, John? Would you take any, any action to stop the poaching or would you just no, reorient listen, the department to have fewer cops? Here's the thing. There is no action to be taken to stop the poaching. 
You cannot do that. You, you're not going to be able to keep officers here. You're not going to be able to find well, them Anthony more money. Anthony Campbell, the chief, says one thing you can do is stress the opportunities New Haven has that other departments don't have. And they know that. new opportunities. They know that. Educational know that. programs, housing programs. They all have them. Listen, New Haven is not offering their cops that anything that nobody else, that any other partner is not is offering. They help you get your advanced degrees. And they help pay for it. They do city. everything. Listen, yeah. you could go to Milford PD and you'll get anything you want. Trust me when I tell you, you'll get more pay. You'll get you know. So any new thoughts on what we can do? Yeah, you have to cut the force. And you have to pay these guys more. That is oh, all. Oh, oh, pay them more. And cut pay the them force. more. They don't. And that's listen, not going to be happening soon because the leadership feels political and police that we need a lot of cops because there's another school of thought that says you need a lot of cops around for visibility yeah, I know, and all that. That's, you need, listen, you can't say, and this, this could have taken up the whole hour that we're here, you can't say, listen, you're making too many arrests in uh, you know, um, low-income neighborhoods and you're putting people in jail for nonviolent crimes. Listen, when we deploy 50 cops into your neighborhood, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be more arrests. You ever, we do you know, want to deal with the problems. Even That's a different argument. Listen, about you don't need 50 cops. Unless you're going to assign one police officer to every resident of the city of New Haven, you know, an increase in police is not going to solve your problems. It's the mission. It's the vision. It's how we do policing. And it's how the public accepts how we do policing. Not the amount of cops we have. John Valleca, there's no one who matches you for instinct protective <laughs> on policing. I'm so glad yeah, you A skewed perspective. No, I don't know. I wouldn't say skewed. <laughs> I would say astute. Anyway, I always <laughs> learn something when you come on Dateline New Haven and WNHHFM. Thank you so much, John Vileka. Anytime. Sergeant Arms for the State Senate. Probably the riskiest beat right now in the <laughs> yeah, field. Yeah, yeah. Retired New Haven Assistant Chief and our criminal justice expert and Harry Dross, our voice of Trumpian reason on WNHH. Thanks for uh, joining us today in Dateline New Haven. Thanks to Young New Haven Hospital for providing support for today's program. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. Now we know what it's like to be free. We just got to remember to book our flight. Book your flight with us all day and all night long here at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.